Uh, they say that getting married is the happiest day of your life. Uh, and I remember my uncle uh, getting married, and he was so happy, he decided to jump into the hotel swimming pool with his suit on. Uh, fortunately for him, uh, the staff had already locked the pool door. Now, the wedding day is a happy one, uh, but it doesn't stay like that forever. Marriages have ups and downs. It takes hard work. It can be an emotional roller coaster. And sometimes the roller coaster crashes and the marriage falls apart. And as Christians, we need to know how to navigate all of this. And in our passage from Mark's Gospel, we've just heard it read, Jesus addresses exactly this issue when he's asked an important question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, this is a sensitive topic. Uh, as well as marriage and divorce, I'm going to be talking about adultery, domestic abuse, and the rightness and wrongness of remarriage. Uh, and I'm aware that we have people here who, um, or in our families, who have been through a divorce or have remarried after divorce. And we may have people here who are wondering if their marriage is going to last or who are struggling in their marriage and haven't told anyone yet. So just as we begin, may I draw your attention to our prayer ministry team. Uh, their role is to support you, listen to you confidentially and pray with you. If you'd like that kind of support, uh, then at the end of the service, just remain in your seat and someone will come over to you. And you can also talk confidentially to our safeguarding panel who are able to support you in accessing, in, uh, accessing any help that you might need. Well, we're picking up this morning right where we left off last week. Uh, we're at the beginning of Mark chapter 10. And verse 1 tells us that Jesus has now left Galilee and he's traveled south towards Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be killed. Every step on that journey then must have cost him. Every step was a decision to move closer and closer towards sacrificing his life. But he did it knowing that after crucifixion comes coronation. Now what Jesus says in today's passage may uh, make some of us uncomfortable or seem too hard, but remember, we're learning from someone who laid down his life for us. He loves us and his teaching uh, he's teaching us to follow in his footsteps. Footsteps that for a while may take us through self-denial and suffering, but in the end lead to where he is now, in joy and heavenly glory. And so we begin with the question Jesus gets asked by a group of Pharisees. We heard it a minute ago. It's Mark chapter 10, verse 2. Have a look with me. Some Pharisees came and tested Jesus by asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, it said they asked him this to test him. That means they want to cause him some trouble. And it's quite possible that when they're having this conversation, they're not far from the place where John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. And why did Herod decapitate him? It's because he criticized Herod's wife. She had been married to Philip, but she fell in love with Herod, so she divorced Philip and got remarried and became Herod's wife instead. And John said publicly that that was wrong, and he was killed for it. Perhaps the Pharisees are hoping that if Jesus also says divorce and remarriage is wrong, he'll get the chop as well. Clearly, though, Jesus is not afraid. He gives them an answer, 
And he also gives some further teaching just to his disciples. And as we think through what he says, it's going to help us see what Jesus expects of us as we live under his rule because he's our king. So let's look at that question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? At first, it sounds like a question about whether God allows divorce at all. But that's not quite right. Um, If we were to turn to Matthew chapter 19 and read his account of this same interaction with the Pharisees, uh, the question the Pharisees ask there has a little bit extra in it. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Because what they're asking isn't about whether divorce is allowed at all, but if it's allowed for more or less trivial reasons. And it's all part of a big debate that was going on at the time. On the issue of divorce in Jesus' day, there were two main opinions, uh, representing uh, the opinions of two major rabbis, Jewish rabbis called uh, Hillel and Shammai. And both of those rabbis taught that a man could divorce his wife if she had done something sexually immoral. And that fitted with the laws of the Old Testament. But Rabbi Hillel taught that a man could in fact divorce his wife for any and every reason, like being a bad cook, or being less attractive than she used to be. Genuine examples. Now this view was essentially Uh, a kind of no-fault divorce. And it all came down to their different interpretations of one verse in Deuteronomy chapter 24. So what these Pharisees are asking Jesus isn't whether divorce is ever allowed, but whether it's okay to divorce their wives for trivial reasons. In other words, how easy is it for me to get shot of the woman I'm married to? And in his typical fashion, Jesus responds with the question. Have a look down with me at verse 3. He says, what did Moses command you? Well, as expected in the light of the current debate, the Pharisees quote Deuteronomy chapter 24. They say, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And the way they quote it makes it clear they're on the side of Rabbi Hillel, no-fault divorce. As far as they're concerned, as long as the man writes her that certificate, divorce is okay. But now it's time to hear what Jesus has to say. And he's going to show that their whole perspective on this is just wrong. Have a look with me at verse 5. Jesus says, It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law. This law about writing certificates of divorce, it's not there to help men get divorced. It was actually given to reduce some of the harm that divorce causes and protect the women who were the victims of it. If you really want to understand marriage properly, what you need to do is go back to God's original design for marriage at creation. And so what Jesus does is he then takes the Pharisees back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Have a look down with me at verse 6. He says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Back in uh, 2018, when the Supreme Court decided to allow opposite-sex couples to enter into civil partnerships, the newspapers uh, interviewed some of the first opposite-sex couples to get civilly partnered. 
And they asked why they chose that option instead of marriage. And I was amazed at how many people didn't want to get married because they saw it as a patriarchal religious ceremony from the Victorian era. But that's wrong. Genesis tells us that marriage is, is not a broken human invention. It was a good gift from God when he made the world. Marriage is something that all Christians should cherish and honor and uphold. Clearly, though, we can get marriage wrong. And so what does Genesis tell us about the true nature of marriage? We thought about this at the start of the year in our sermon series going through Genesis. And if you want to, you can uh, listen back to the sermon on Genesis chapter 2. But to summarize briefly, marriage was designed by God to be the union of one man and one woman for life. And it's a union of one man and one woman because it's based on our biological complementarity. That's why Jesus says, God made them male and female for this reason. A man will be united to his wife. And as well as that, marriage is lifelong. Genesis says that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And who is it that joins them like this? Well, not the minister at the wedding. Jesus says it's God. Verse 9, Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. If God himself is the one who unites a husband and a wife, then no mere human has the right to separate them, not even the husband or wife themselves. And what all this means for the Pharisees is simple. Far from wanting to know on what grounds they could divorce their wives, they should have no intention of divorcing their wives in the first place. They should be committed to their wives until death. The very first wedding I did, I don't know if this was a bit heavy-handed, uh, but I told the couple at the service, uh, when you came to church this morning, you had the right to walk away. Might have been hurtful, but you had the right to change your mind and walk away. By the time you leave, you will not have that right. By the time you leave, you will have been united to one another for life. In a culture where men felt free to divorce their wives at will, Jesus' words would have been hard to hear. So when the Pharisees had left and Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples wanted to know more. And Jesus says in verse 11, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. We thought about Deuteronomy 24. We thought about the creation of marriage in Genesis. Now Jesus brings us to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And the point he makes is this. Because marriage is a lifelong union, if a man divorces his wife and marries another woman, that's adultery. You can't avoid adultery uh, by getting divorced first. Because even if you're divorced on paper, God doesn't consider the union to be over. And that means marrying someone who was divorced may also be adultery. And the same goes for women. When Philip's wife divorced him and married Herod, that was adultery. Even though she was no longer legally married to Philip, in God's eyes, the divorce was illegitimate and they were still united. So marrying Herod was adultery. 
She committed adultery and so did he by marrying her and that's what John the Baptist pointed out and that's what got him killed. What this means for us is if marriage is ended by divorce, instead of remarriage, the better outcome uh, would be for the husband and wife to remain unmarried and then to be reconciled. If a husband wrongly divorces his wife or a right wife wrongly divorces her husband, the best outcome is repentance and reunion. And helping them stay together or get back together isn't just their responsibility, it's everyone's responsibility. When a couple get married in the Church of Ireland, the minister asks the congregation, will you, the family and friends of these two people, support and encourage them in their marriage? And we respond, we will. So as followers of King Jesus, let's all work together to support the made-to-measure relationship of marriage that God has given us, one man and one woman united for life. And one good way the Church of Ireland offers to do that is through something called the Marriage Council. don't know if you've heard of it, uh, but it provides preparation for couples in the run-up to marriage. And it also provides help with uh, getting counselling if things are tough for you. That's there. If you need it, talk to me. Um, and also talk to me if you've got any questions based on what I've said so far. Uh, please do come and speak to me. I'd love to help you understand things better or clarify things if I've said anything you haven't understood. But maybe what I'm about to say now will answer some of the questions you might have. So far, we've been considering the question of divorce for illegitimate reasons. But what happens when the reason for divorce isn't trivial? What happens when in the case of, say, uh, what happens in the case of adultery? Is divorce permitted then? And the answer is yes. In Matthew's account of this conversation with the Pharisees, Jesus says, divorce and remarriage is adultery, except in the case of sexual immorality. If a wife, divorce, uh, if a wife discovers that her husband is sleeping with somebody else, if their marriage is being destroyed by an out-of-control addiction to pornography, uh, if the husband uh, and these are real examples I've heard. If a husband goes to an orgy or visits a prostitute, these are grounds for divorce. And the same goes if a wife does any of these things. It would be better if the offending spouse could be brought to repentance so that they could rebuild their marriage. Jesus urges us to be peacemakers, reconcilers, people who forgive. That's the best outcome. But in these cases, it is permitted for a Christian to seek a divorce. It may just be that you're securing the legal end of a marriage that's already been ruined by grievous sin. And as well as divorce for sexual immorality in Matthew, we could also look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says that if someone becomes a Christian and their husband or wife decides to leave them, divorce is permitted in that case. In today's world, what that would mean is if your husband or wife abandons you or just walks out on you and it becomes clear they're really not coming back, then it's legitimate for a Christian to end that marriage by divorce. And it makes sense to say that someone can abandon you without physically leaving the house. I think cases of serious domestic violence or abuse fall into this category. If a husband is putting his wife's life in danger, 
it would be better if he had walked out. In this case, I think it's legitimate to seek a divorce. Again, where possible, every effort should be made to try to rescue the marriage. But in this fallen world, it is not always possible. And in cases like that, divorce is the lesser of two evils. And so I think it's a shame that in the past, divorce for any reason has been stigmatized and frowned upon. Sometimes divorce uh, is, um, sometimes divorce is adulterous and wrong. Sometimes it's a tragedy, but completely legitimate. And so anyone who's gone through the pain uh, of a divorce, perhaps I'm bringing back memories you'd rather not think about. If you've been through the pain of a divorce to separate yourself from an adulterous or abusive spouse, what I would say to somebody in that situation is this. God understands because he himself is a divorcee. In the Old Testament, he makes the people of Israel his bride. But Israel constantly worshipped other gods and God called that spiritual adultery. And he was patient so patient and again and again he called Israel back to himself called her to repent and be forgiven he waited for her to change her heart but she didn't and so God told the prophet Jeremiah I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries God knows the pain of a husband or wife who has suffered like this. He understands why they get divorced. He knows you wouldn't have wanted it to end that way. But he loves you and forgives all your sins. And wonderfully, even if our earthly marriages fail, we have a great marriage in heaven to look forward to. That's what the first reading was about. Because God's story doesn't end at divorce. The cross that Jesus is walking towards is a death that cleaned away all the sins and adulteries of God's people. He laid down his life to make his adulterous wife pure and spotless, free from every stain. And the day he returns will be the wedding feast of the Lamb, when Jesus the bridegroom and his bride the church begin the true and greater union that will be filled with the love we all long for forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's pray together and then we're going to take a moment to be quiet. There might be lots of things we want to think about from what we've heard this morning and then we're going to sing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, what you teach is sometimes hard to hear, uh, particularly uh, when we've been through uh, a bit of a roller coaster of a marriage. And so we pray you'd give us all grace to hear and receive what you say with humility and with a desire to understand and help all of us, whatever our situation, to cherish, honour and uphold your great gift to us of marriage. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.